In Alan's absence, I will do my very best to guide you through the cultivation of compassion at the deepest level, which is the aspiration to be free of suffering um, caused by grasping, grasping on to I, me, and mine. So the, the last words that Alan mentioned about this practice is, knock those afflictions dead. <laughs> so let's see how we do. As always, let, let your body and mind settle in a state of comfort and ease imbued with the qualities of relaxation, stillness, and vigilance. Ensure that your spine is straight and your sternum slightly raised and your shoulders completely relaxed. And allow your awareness to descend into the body, entire field of the body, attending to the tactile sensations that arise. If you notice any pockets of tension or tightness, release that tension using the exhalation. And allow the breath to flow naturally at ease into its own natural cycle.
And now to stabilize the mind, just take a few minutes to attend to the tactile sensations that correlate with the breath, wherever you feel them the most. Now arouse your imagination and wisdom in the cultivation of compassion. And we'll begin with the awareness that all sentient beings, humans and others, share the common desire to be free from suffering. From the darkest of villains to the greatest of saints, we all share this, this is a common thread. And this is part of every moment of our existence, this aspiration to be free from suffering. 
now bring to mind your own wish to be free of suffering. And with wisdom, investigate what is the true cause of your anxiety, your suffering, your distress, or any misery that you have. There's blatant suffering, and there's a suffering of change. But today we're going to focus on the root of the suffering. What is it about our existence, our very nature, that makes us vulnerable to suffering? As you probe deeply, you'll see that grasping, grasping on to I, me, and mine, my body, my thoughts, my feelings, my imagination, my awareness. That this delusion is the root of our suffering. So let's inquire first into the body, examining the body, our hands, our feet, our skin, our tissue, our cells. Which elements of the body are mine? And then attend to the tactile sensations of the body. What about these tactile sensations are mine?
are these tactile sensations just arising and dissolving with no owner. Imagine that you are free from this delusion, that you recognize the illusory nature of the body and the ownerless nature of the tactile sensations. But surely my thoughts, emotions, my fears, my imagination, my hopes, they must be mine. Investigate your thoughts and emotions and desires. What about them is mine? Or do they too arise and pass without an owner? And now consider your awareness. Your awareness itself must be yours, must be the essence of who we are, the core of me. So allow yourself to rest in the nature of awareness.
and inquire. Does awareness have a gender? Does it have an age? Or is it a person? Or is awareness just arising from moment to moment with no owner? And now attend to the dreamlike apparition or illusion that you conventionally call yourself and allow the aspiration to arise. May I be free from suffering. May I awaken. And if you wish, you can conjoin that aspiration with the visualization of that deep suffering of grasping and delusion in the form of a dark cloud. And on the in-breath, draw in that suffering and extinguish it without a trace at an orb of white light at your heart. And with each in-breath, imagine finding freedom from this suffering. And imagine all the conditions necessary on this pursuit of freedom are rising up to meet you.
And now expand your awareness to everyone in the room and all sentient beings beyond the room in all directions. And allow the aspiration to arise. May we all be free from suffering and the root of suffering and find the happiness we seek. And if you wish, you can also conjoin this aspiration with the visualization of imagining, drawing in the darkness, the suffering, and extinguishing it without a trace at the inexhaustible orb of white light at your chest. Now release all thoughts, aspirations, mental objects. And rest your awareness in its own nature. I'm happy to answer any questions, or I'd rather facilitate a discussion um, on anything that is on top of your mind.
Yes. Michelle, a number of the folk here are thinking about doing a long-term retreat. So it would be interesting to hear about your experience on a Shamatha retreat. I'm not looking for anything in particular, just practical things or tips or, or anything you're comfortable sharing with the group. Sure. Well, I, I'd like to draw upon um, the other uh, practitioners in the room, particularly my husband, <laughs> um, given that he's been on a long-term retreat. And, and uh, I think we, we, were, we want to be careful that we don't want to distract you on um, your, your current retreat. But um, practical tips. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, can I pass it to you, Nick? I'm, we can all build... Nicola's in the room and Heidi. Do you want? Um, I, I think Michelle is right. It's probably best not to get into questions about post this retreat in order to help people stay focused on, on the important project ahead. Um, but you know, I think we're happy to answer any questions about what it's like to be in a, a two-month retreat like this. And I think if I could say one thing in a vacuum, because I don't know what your specific concerns are, but Michelle and I have had an opportunity to um, do interviews for a few of these retreats. And I could say if there's one theme um, that's really jumped to the forefront through all the questioning. Um, it's, it's the theme of expectations, of people getting tripped up because they say, okay, I've organized my whole life around this, I've taken these two months, and boy, I'm going to get to stage X, or I'm going to have this kind of an experience. And, um, you know, I think Michelle and I really recognize this trap because we experienced it as well. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a saying in the Lojong trainings, give up all hope of fruition. We made a sign out of that and posted it up in our meditation room because um, inevitably we'd have a stretch where things were just going wonderfully and no doubt you were, we were going to be enlightened in a few weeks. <laughs> and then, boom, you know, one sit to the next, a nyam comes up and all of a sudden, it's, oh, I'm terrible. I have, what am I doing here? I'm wasting my time. I've gone backwards. I'm in stage negative two. And, <laughs> yada, yada, and there's all this kind of negative cycle. And I think what we've eventually started to realize more and more was how much of the key to this, um, this endeavor was letting go of everything that we've been trained for in our culture in terms of expectations and achievement. And... Um, so I think if, if there's one thing that we would say about our experience both in this retreat and, and in the longer term retreat that we continued with is to really um, let go of any achievement-oriented uh, tendencies. I mean, obviously, it's good to have a good motivation and to have a certain discipline, but I, I think the metaphor that we both came to was it's a bit like being a sailor without an engine and all you can do is show up every day and put the sails up and some days there'll be perfect wind and you know again you think you're going to be enlightened in a few weeks and then 
you know, the next day the wind stops and you're just in the doldrums and the next day and the next day and the next day. You know, and then all of a sudden a hurricane wind blows and, you know, you feel like you can barely hold on for dear life. And so it's just, it's this cycle that you have no control over. You can't control the wind, but you can just sort of show up and put the sails up every day. So um, sorry for the long, long diatribe, but, but it is something that we've really ex experienced ourselves firsthand. We've seen our friends in retreat struggle with this, and we've seen it over and over and over again in the interviews here in Phuket. So it's just one, one theme that we really wanted to reinforce. And then I, I would just add that um, the four measurables are so wonderful. And as Ellen says, they keep your best friends in, in your pocket at all times. And there's a real compliment that, that happens with the whatever practice you're doing um, for uh, the shamatha practice, but the, the four measurables are, if you can incorporate them into your day, even outside the regular scheduled ones in the group session, because you can choose. There's always, depending upon your mental state, there's always a four measurable that will help, that will give you a boost, whatever it is. And um, that's that really... I think is, is important. I, I found that very helpful and also uh, witnessed other practitioners who, who built that into their daily schedule. And that made a huge difference. And then on a really practical level, um, this is such a great opportunity to start to experiment with just basic things that you're doing on a daily basis. For example, food, diet, you know, what, what sort of routine do you find is really helpful for example, eating in the evening. Um, do you, if you have a lighter meal, does that help you in the evening? Or um, cutting out coffee, or, or whatever it is, you have an opportunity here to experiment and and try. And also with exercise, you know, walking, and what sorts of things work with your with the rhythm you know, with your mind. And and if you do engage in conversations, what happens afterwards? Watching the mind. Um, if you if you're in contact with loved ones at home, or you go on the internet, which I hope you don't. Um, but if you do, just watch what happens um, to um, your mental state afterwards. So it's it's a just such a, a wonderful opportunity to really explore that in in a in an environment where you can do it safely. <laughs> and at the end of this retreat. Um, we'll hold a session, just a discussion session, where we're happy to share any practical tips. You know, others, I'm sure, have done long retreat, and, and they will as well, and help people who are thinking about going into the longer retreat. But we'd like to wait till the end so that people can stay focused here, you know, within the bounds of the Mind Center for the next few weeks. else who's been in longer retreats like to share some insights that have been helpful? There's some experienced practitioners in the room. My name is Chakdor. Uh, 
And uh, I would like to ask you one question about uh, meditation of awareness of awareness. Maybe you know this uh, for sure. And uh, Alan told us that first, when we are doing this meditation, such type of meditation, we should focus on awareness and then try to relax it. Uh, but I found out that it's not possible to focus on awareness. Because when I'm focusing on awareness, I understood that there is another awareness which is focusing on awareness. <laughs> so this is not awareness anymore. So this one is awareness. And when I realizing that this is awareness, so it, it is became something like object, and there is another subject which is looking on this awareness. Yes. So it's like going to the circle. Yes, yes. How to find out this? <laughs> Okay, well, I'll do my best on that one. Um, but Padmasambhava's teachings, breaking it down into phases, I think are very helpful um, to really help in the process. So just step by step, um, inverting and releasing, and then doing an almost vipassana kind of practice to gently probe into, okay, what, what is awareness? What is the nature of this consciousness? So that they are very helpful. But by definition, it's um, shamatha without a sign. So it, it is a, a very subtle, extremely subtle practice. And um, it, the, it, it, it's, it, it takes some time to get into, into the rhythm of the practice. And if you are finding subject and object, then, then there is a bifurcation. So um, there as much as you can release and relax. And I think that's in building on what Nick already mentioned, that um, especially well, for all of the practices, the relaxation is key, but especially the awareness of awareness to even get into that state, um, that it is so critical that you are relaxed. And that means the mind is like this. So it's the gradual sort of unwinding and releasing, releasing, releasing. So it's... Um, I think I'll, I'll end it on that, but if you have... But what should I release? <laughs> any, anything that arises, any, any thoughts, any emotions, any awareness of you know, tactile sensations, you just continue to release. Anything that surfaces, arises, and it will, you're just releasing, you're releasing. So the mindfulness is you're, you're attending to awareness, that is, that is the object of your attention, but the, your introspection is constantly on guard that any time something surfaces, any sort of excitation, any thoughts, emotions, you're just releasing and using the exhalation to do that. So it's releasing, 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 and um, awareness is what's left after all of that. Does anybody else want to add to that? <laughs> Thank you. Um, can you hear me? Um, someone at the very first Allen retreat I went to asked the same question. So this is going back to, I think, 2005. Um, and, and let me see if I can give you my memory of his response. And it would be worth bringing it up with him again because he may have, he may have refined the way he answered this. Answered this. But he, he described, you know, particularly in the early stages of awareness of awareness, um, that, you know, of course it is, it is, there's a dual, dualism. There is a subject and an object. 
there's an awareness that is aware of an awareness. How is that possible? And um, he described it in terms of timing, that, it, that you are actually um, seeing an aspect of your awareness that is a few, maybe a few milliseconds um, after it has actually occurred. So there is a part of your awareness that is seeing a, a prior moment of awareness. And that over time, as you deepen the practice, the general trajectory is that that duality starts to fade so that the awareness eventually is resting in itself. But in the early stages, absolutely, uh, there is a duality, if that makes any sense. I found that helpful at the time because I, I had the same confusion. Maybe you'll have some time before dinner <laughs> tonight. <laughs> and okay. Oh, we do have. As I understand it, you are in charge of the mind center, or were your specific responsibilities? And if you are in charge of the mind center, um, what is a vision for this place? <laughs> Can you talk a little about that? Good question. That's definitely a question for Nick. Um, yeah, I, I, I work uh, across the property, so with the school and the mind center and the sports and leisure club. And, you know, again, I won't go into too much detail here uh, out of respect for, for the challenges of distraction and retreat, but, um, but we will do a tour um, and a presentation for any who are interested at the end. But just, just a brief overview. Um, you know, there are three centers here. And uh, the idea is they, they work closely together. So uh, in the school, for example, uh, there are two kind of pillars to the curriculum. One is the International Baccalaureate Program, which is a, a wonderful curriculum in and of itself. Very forward thinking very oriented towards uh, service learning and a lot of great things. Um, and the second pillar is social and emotional learning. And there we have uh, two programs in place right now, more to come. But, but the first is a program called PADS, uh, which any of you who have, have read Destructive Emotions uh, will be familiar with. It's Mark Greenberg's program. And uh, it's a very, very well-regarded evidence-based program which helps uh, students learn about their emotions, about how to read them, how to manage them in positive ways, how to read other people's emotions, and how to manage interpersonal relationships in positive ways. And it, it already, in the, in the few months that we've implemented, has had a, had a notable impact on the atmosphere at the school. The second uh, pillar is uh, the mindfulness in the classroom. And that's where the obvious connection between the mind center and the school comes in. So you know, I, I will turn it over to Michelle to describe that in more detail. Um, but the essence of that is bringing the practices that you're experiencing here 
to the students in, in an age-appropriate way um, and in a secular way. It is a school, we have, we have families from many different uh, religious backgrounds. And so, for example, the mindfulness of breathing is one of the practices and that's done, uh, for example, with the kids lying down and a teddy bear on their bellies. <laughs> so they're paying attention to the teddy bear rocking up and down, uh, trying to rock it to sleep. Uh, you can or, try that too if you wish. Yeah. <laughs> or, or uh, you know, the loving kindness meditation is a friendly wishes meditation. Their friends in the classroom for themselves, and so on. Um, so that's the obvious connection there. Uh, with respect to the mind center itself, um, the idea is to have uh, sort of the, the contemplative programs at the core, uh, not necessarily just Buddhist, um, and done you know, on a non-sectarian basis. In other words, you know, people from all, all belief systems uh, can have access to these programs. Uh, we're also including yoga, uh, but yoga particularly as it relates to the connection with the contemplative practice, um, and then also psychology, of course. So for example, there's a six-week cultivating emotional balance program that follows this program, uh, where Alan will be co-teaching with Paul Ekman, uh, who is a, a wonderful and very prominent a psychologist in the field, particularly of emotional intelligence. And, um, and, then, and then another aspect of what we're trying to do here is build bridges with the scientific community. You, you can see the connections with Alan. Uh, so you know, we've already had some research projects done on the retreats here, and, and, and there will be more to come. And then finally, with respect to the, uh, the sports and leisure club, the idea there is to, uh, to develop a sports training center. It has other aspects as well, but I'll just focus on the sports. Um, with a caliber of facilities that make it attractive for everyone from you know, a young kid learning how to swim all the way up to uh, a, you know, Olympic caliber you know, or professional athlete. And uh, the connection there between the mind center uh, is, uh, what is a sports mindfulness program that we will develop where uh, teams coming here uh, can, you know, obviously they can train physically, but even the top athletes can only train at most about six hours physically a day. Uh, so that leaves time for the mental training. It's really been interesting for us watching uh, some of the leagues and the teams that we've been speaking with because we thought this would sound a little wacky to them. And for example, I, I met with a, with a group of, of uh, folks affiliated with the New Zealand uh, Rugby Association, the All Blacks and so forth. And as I was describing the facilities here and just kind of passed lightly over what we were doing here, they latched onto it. It became a half an hour of fascination because they've actually seen some coaches bring these practices um, into the sports arena. So it's an interesting way... Um, to, to share with people the shamatha practices, the concentration practices, and the four measurable practices. And, and perhaps you know, get to a point where you have professional athletes doing this regularly and having an impact on, of course, their performance, but also who they are as role models. You know, sports, sports is such a religion in so many ways in our society. Um, so that's a little bit of the vision. There's more to it. There's an orga organic farm that is... Uh, part of our organization that's a couple of hours north 
of here, um, where we also have some villas where people can stay and learn about the farming and, and just have a retreat. And, uh, and of course, most of your food comes from there. Um, so that, that's just a little bit about the I could go on for a long, for a long time. <laughs> I, I will, I'll, I'll desist. In the <laughs> but we're, we're always looking for ways to integrate the three centers. And for example, I've already had a request from the school um, for the children at the end of your retreat, when you're no longer in silence, for some of the children to perhaps come and visit and have the opportunity to speak with someone who would be willing to go into an eight-week retreat, and they want to know why. <laughs> why on earth? <laughs> so it's, it's you know, providing the richness for our students um, to be exposed to um, you know, excellence, excellence in mind training, excellence in athletic training. And so we're, we're really excited. And, and just to build a little bit on um, mindfulness and education, what we're doing uh, it's, we're trying as much as possible. We're collaborating with a wonderful um, practitioner, Susan Kaiser Greenland, who's been doing this work for over 10 years. And she's really masterfully tried to maintain the integrity of the practices that we're doing here and uh, make them developmentally appropriate for children. And we've just, we've been piloting uh, with a few classes and um, just, just now, um, we're, we are, we'll be implementing the training in every class, and that was that's coming from the teachers and the parents who are really eager to to get uh, to offer this this type of training for um, their students and their children. So, uh, and then with that, um, offering um, the training to parents and and obviously to teachers. So, it's more of the the systems approach and enabling all people to have access to the training. So that's just a, a broad stroke. Yes. One thing that Alan seems to have benefited from is his Tibetan experience of debate and logic and thinking. And I wonder if that's included in your program with the, uh, with the children. It's a great question. The answer is no, not yet, but it's something that has come up, and you're absolutely right. Um, the value of that would be absolutely huge. So it's not an integral part of it, but we, we are going to look into that. His yeah. persuasion skills and, and be able to deliver a message is, is so great. Oh. And I know he learned that as a monk, or mostly as monk training. Yes, yes. No, thank you for, for that. Thank you. We will look into that. <laughs> Enjoy your evening. Thank you.